What's up everybody, this is Elliot Terrell and you're listening to Magical Thinking brought to you by Art of Magic. Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments or thoughts or you just want to chat, email me at podcast at artofmagic.com and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Our guest for this episode is the amazing Gary Plants. If you guys don't know, Gary is one of the foremost card technicians in the world. He is an incredible sleight of hand artist. He was a teacher for many years and only practiced magic to fool magicians, but in the last several years he started performing for lay people. And he has some really interesting thoughts about why he does it now and how he wishes he had done it more when he was getting started in magic. Gary knows everybody. He's got the techniques and the skill to sit at the table with some of the best in the world, and he shares some stories about knowing Vernon, Michael Lamar, Ed Marlowe, Charlie Skinner, and more. So this is a great episode, and I think you're really going to enjoy listening to Gary speak about all of his different experiences. My best friend, David Yannick, who is very friendly with Gary, he lived in Houston for a while, set this up. We were at Magi Fest, and David was kind enough to persuade Gary over the course of several hours to sit down with us and and talk with us about his many life experiences. As always, you should follow us on all the social media, facebook.com slash magicalthinkingpodcast, facebook.com slash mystery, instagram.com slash mystery, instagram.com slash treasuryofwonder, twitter, so on and so forth, all the good stuff. Make sure to sign up for the newsletter and... I think you're going to enjoy this episode. Have a good time. Enjoy it. Let me know what you think. It's going to be great. <laughs> uh, this is the second Magi Fest podcast of 2016 now. Uh, Gary, thank you so much for agreeing to, <laughs> to do this and share some of your amazing wisdom and mm. knowledge uh, with us and the listeners and before before we started, you you put a couple things in chronological order, and I guess mm-hmm. that starts with how'd you get into magic? <laughs> Interested. Well, um, I always had seemed like I always had tricks uh, when I was growing up. My dad uh, was a salesman, and he'd be on the road a lot. I remember one little thing he he brought home a little tiny glass bottle, and it had a little tiny penny in it. You know, the penny couldn't fit in there any other way. And, when I remember, I remember seeing that. I was six or seven years old. And I thought, well, that's magic. You know, you can't put a penny in a bottle. So I was always amazed by that. And I got several magic kits when I was growing up. But uh, I think I actually got started in high school. We had a, a field trip when I was a senior in 1972. We went to Disney World. And uh, they had a magic shop in Disney World. And I went in and uh, I purchased the Invisible Deck and the sponge rabbits and I performed pretty much those two things for the next year or two that's just about all I did because they always got good reactions and so that and still do to this day (laughs) and so uh, that was probably the the real start to getting interested in magic and then in 1977 I saw an ad in a magazine, it was probably Jeannie, and it said uh, the first annual West Virginia magic convention. Well, I didn't even know what a magic convention was, didn't even know they existed. The, the big star on the bill at that time was a guy named Tommy Windsor, 
who used to work showboats. He was a he was an interesting gentleman. He was quite old at the time, and he passed away a few years later. But it was in Parkersburg, West Virginia, and so I ended up going to that convention. And Doc Dottery was there. They had a few dealers who used to work for uh, Doc Dottery used to work for Al Cohen. Mm-hmm. I bought my first magic card trick from them. It was called Wacky Packet, mm-hmm. and I, now I have the rise to sell that, and I sell that in my booth. Okay. And I met two magicians who stood out. And they, you know, they were kind of heads and shoulders above the other magicians there. One, one young guy's name was Michael Amar, and the other one was a fellow named Paul Spinagle. Both of them are uh, still around. I know everybody knows Michael. Paul Spinagle's out of uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and he's still an active magician to this day. Uh, Michael, I remember, he, Michael must have been 16, 17 years old at the time, and he, I remember to this day, he performed the Cups and Balls, and did an excellent job you know, at that young age, and he also, the other one that stands out in my mind, I remember he performed Jerry Anderson's Miser's Miracle, where you take two playing cards, they're bridge-sized cards, and he tears them up and produces four silver dollars out of these little tiny pieces of cards, and just blew, you know, I was like, I knew nothing. So this trick, just, I mean, it just devastated me. So uh, we had a mutual friend named Bruce Sorgman who lived in Charleston. And so Michael came to Bruce's house one time, and Bruce invited me over. And Michael and I became friendly. And um, so this was, again, 77, early 78. And at that time, I was reading Genie Magazine because there was a column in there by the uh, Vernon, the professor. Very, very interesting. It was the first thing I read whenever the magazine came in. And so Michael and I were talking. At, at, in 1978, uh, July 78, they had the 50th SAM convention up in New York City at the Waldorf Astoria. And so Michael and I, we both wanted to see Vernon. Vernon was at, at the Magic Castle in California. Mm-hmm. And of course, we were so young. It was like well, that was a halfway across the world at the time. So seeing that Vernon was going to lecture in New York City, we were like, okay, you know, that's pretty. That's probably about as close and, as we're ever going to get. And he was in his eighties, right? Yeah, Just he like, was. Well, uh, he would have been uh, six and uh, seventy-eight, so he was eighty-four. Yeah. <clears throat> so he was eighty-four years old. Now let me tell you this: when I first saw him, he looked like he was sixty. Wow! Really? I mean, he. Yeah. Did you, if you somebody told you he was eighty-four, you just wouldn't have believed it. He mm-hmm. was standing up on the chair when he was lecturing and <laughs> and doing the diagonal palm shift. And I mean, I mean, he looked like he was, you know, my age now. I mean, that's that would be. Uh, it, it was just amazing. So, wow. anyhow, Michael and I said, okay, this is what we've got. We've got to go to the that convention, and so we did to see Vernon. To, that to was see like Vernon. A, that was the that goal. was the reason for going. Well, you know, little. Little did we know that you know that was the convention that that changed my world. I don't know about Michael. I'm th- I imagine it affected him a lot too. Because I will tell you, uh, while we were there, we met Harry Lorraine. We were out in the hall, and Harry Lorraine was talking to Dick Cavett. And uh, somehow, Mike, we were walking past, and Michael, uh, Harry was trying to get people to give him tricks for Apocalypse. Apocalypse had just come out. I bought the first issue or two of Apocalypse from Harry mm-hmm. at that convention and he was looking for contributors and Michael so I, I don't remember exactly how 
uh, I think he was just asking people, anybody have anything they want to contribute? And Michael says, well, I've got a couple things. So we all went up, Michael, and there was another friend of mine, Jack Adams. There's two Jack Adams. This was this guy was not very well known. There was another more famous Jack Adams. But Jack Adams and Michael and myself, we, we uh, went up to the room, and Harry came up. And Harry did a lot of magic, a bunch of magic out of close-up card magic and, and his uh, early books. And then Michael showed him several different card effects. I remember one was the, I think, the Iceman Cometh. If you go back and look in the magazine, you'll see where it's card production or corner of a card in an ice cube and, and uh, a couple of card revelations. And so that was Michael's first real, you know, getting a little bit of fame from Harry's uh, apocalypse. But at that convention, that was uh, one of the first conventions where David Roth was, was uh, performing and Darwin Ortiz, uh, the amazing Randy was there. Just, I mean, probably 40 just really top-notch performers. I've, I remember watching David Roth do Hanging Coins mm -hmm. for the first time. Wow. And it was, it was it was just breathtaking. You're know, like, what? What is going on? I mean, nobody had a clue, you know, about that type of, you know, the edge grip and all mm -hmm. that. Just, it was just fantastic. And so, you know, after that convention, I remember I went home and I bought all of David's stuff, and and uh, we had a little magic shop that put on a contest uh, for magicians, and uh, I had bought the. Uh, the black hole, David Ross black hole mm -hmm. trick, and and uh, the hanging coin stuff, and I, I entered the contest and did almost all David Roth coin stuff, believe it or not, and I won first place in the in the contest. And a buddy of mine, Richard Barger, I remember he was sitting there, and I showed him a a, a card trick, Bruce Servon's a pivot revelation, and Richard Richard told me he says, yeah, you know, he said when you left, he said I told my friends, uh, yeah, but. You know, that's probably the only thing he knows, you know, <laughs> is that one thing. So that was kind of a funny story. But learning that magic and come by, I mean, nobody, you know, where I live, nobody knew any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was able to get in uh, some, you know, some good magic early on and uh, made a lot of a lot of good friends. But that was the convention where I said, okay, I'm, I'm hooked on magic for the rest of my and, life. And how old were you, like, right, right around there? Uh, well, 78, I was born in 54, so 64, 74, so 24. Okay. It's 24 years old. And uh, so then a year or two later, you know, I wanted to see Vernon again. And Joe Stevens, I think in, he started in 78, the Las Vegas uh, Desert, Desert Seminar. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I didn't go at that time, 78. I don't think I went in 79. I think 1980 was the first time I went to that convention. And at that point, I believe there were 95 people. And it was Vernon and Sidini and Mike Skinner and Roger Klaus and Danny Dew and Joe Berg and, you know, all these guys that I had just read about in, the, in you know, Genie Magazine. Sure. And, you know, here I am, a 24-year-old punk, you know, just wet behind the ears. And I was in seventh heaven being there. And, and of course, Vernon lectured. Vernon lectured there along with Slidini. And, uh, you know, so I got to, got to see them again. And so I went back every year, 70, uh, 80, 81, 82. Every year, there was one year I didn't go. And uh, it was because I didn't recognize the names. Um, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure Vernon and Slidini were probably there, but the, the other big names I didn't recognize, so I decided not to go. And uh, those two names were Juan Tamariz and Ascanio. Uh, and so. Uh, <laughs> and you were unaware. I was totally unaware. Those names did not mean a thing to me at that point in time. You Have know, you told Tamaris this story? No. You haven't told no, him? No, I, there, I didn't think about it really at the time. But uh, that's uh, one regret that I have in Magic that, that I missed that. Um, so I met a lot of, you know, that's when I met uh, all those guys, you know, Mike Skinner and Roger Klaus and, and uh, Jeff Busby was even there at, at uh, one or two of them. And a real quick interesting story about that, we were at a, one of the restaurants in the hotel. It was Jim Lewis and Roger Klaus, Mike Skinner, myself, and Jeff Busby. And we were sitting in a booth, one of these semicircle booths. And so uh, we were talking a little bit and then a deck of cards comes out and starts getting passed around. And uh, I remember Michael did something and then he handed the cards to me and I did something and I gave them to Roger. And, and then Roger eventually got passed down to uh, Jeff Busby. And Busby's like, he just took the cards and passed them over to Jim Lewis. And Jim pushed him back. He says, no, it's your turn. You know, you do. I haven't ever seen you do anything. Here, you do something. And Busby wouldn't do it. So, and so that was it. The cards just sat there and they never went any further around the table. But Busby was a strange, strange guy. Let's see. So that was in the early 80s. And then um, the mid-80s, I started going to, I got an invitation to Factors uh, 4F convention. And then that was another eye-opener. Unfortunately, I never got to see Eddie work. Eddie died uh, about three, I think three or four years before I made it up okay. there. But uh, um, what year would that have been? I think about 89, somewhere in that range, one Tamariz. <laughs> was the guest one of the guests at 4F and he made me want to throw my cards away <laughs> I had I have never ever ever been as badly fooled as I was by Tamariz's performance the first time that he came to 4F and that was the uh, first time you saw him. First time I'd ever seen him. I'd heard all about him. I knew nothing about him. Nobody said, well, he does this or he does mm -hmm. this. I knew nothing about him other than he was supposed to be a great magician. And uh, he came up and performed uh, several effects out of Mnemonica. And, of course, I didn't know, even know he was using a memorized deck. And he and it just devastated me. I mean, it just made me, it just crushed me. I'm like, okay, I don't know anything. I, I was at a point where I thought, okay, you know, I'm learning a little bit. And uh, I just, I was just devastated. I mean, he just is such a phenomenal, phenomenal performer. And uh, so that was, that was quite an experience. And of course, Frank Garcia was up there, you know, he, he mm. all the time and he performed lots, lots and lots of good magicians. Uh, four F. So the it's changed a lot now. Again, used to be a hundred people when we first started going. It was actually at the Forks Hotel. And they uh, they had a bar at the on the first floor in a little restaurant and then you went up the stairs and when they held the convention they had these bleachers on three three sides, the back and the two sides, and then they had the performers up in the up in the center. And they were all these old hard bleachers. There was no air conditioning. The way had windows open or window fan. And hotter than heck, and uh, everybody was 
just jam packed in there, but it was it was so different. It was fun, and uh, um, so it's different now. Now there's 250 people. Yeah, and uh, it's still a good convention. You got a lot of good performers. It's I won't say it's all. It's not really close up maybe too much anymore. You know when you're getting billiard ball productions and mm-hmm. some of this stuff. But uh, very good convention. And uh, let's see where are we? So uh, met Herb Zero. That was the first place I met Herb Zero. Okay, was at the 4F convention, and we became friends. And uh, uh, you know got to go to his room and sit down and talk with him when I came up with some ideas on the Zero Shuffle and, and showed them to, to him and some of his buddies and got some got a little feedback <coughs> from him. And, and uh, Can you talk a little bit about, because we're, we're still in the 80s kind of, mm-hmm. um, the whole Revelations filming oh. and you were buddies with MR at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael, this was, I don't, I don't remember, I see trying to remember what year that would have been because they just did that 30th anniversary was what a couple years ago uh yeah 13 maybe so 30 years earlier so probably 83 yeah it was about this time okay 83 84 michael was still quite young he was in his early 20s and he was one of the ones that got invited up to be up in canada when when the professor filmed the revelation series and um so Michael was like, you know, he and I were pretty good friends, and he knew I was a Vernon nut, and and he's like, well, I don't, I need some questions to ask. You. I don't know what am I, go, what am I going to say? What am I going to ask him? So I made a list of questions, and I think Michael told me he still has that list. I, not too long ago, we were talking about this because I always kid him about this story. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I would first off, we need to go back a second. But when I when I first started teaching in '77, I got very interested in false deals. So for for five or six years I've been practicing false deals, seconds, bottoms, centers. And uh, at that time I was kind of intrigued with the center deal. So I, one of the questions I asked Michael to ask him was, you know, what is, what's his opinion on consecutive center deals? You know, do, do guys do that? You know, I didn't know anybody that even did a center deal. You know, how important is that? So if you've seen the Revelation series, at one point, Michael says, uh, "Professor says, what? What about consecutive centers?" And Vernon stops and he looks at him, and you could just see this this look on his face. And he says, "He says consecutive centers. Now you're talking like a magician." He says, "Nobody who needs consecutive centers. You know? <laughs> do you realize? Do you realize what just one center deal can can do?" And I and I was sitting there when I watched that, and I thought, "Oh, oh my gosh. God! I'm so glad it was Michael that asked you that instead of me." Yeah, so. Uh, anytime I see Mike, I say, Mike, you remember that story about the consecutive center deals? And well, and I don't actually know if that would be in the <clears throat> the DVDs now because when they when they put the set out, they edited out well, a lot of yeah the Vernon going after Michael or well, I, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very confused about that now because I know it was in the original tapes, and then I had heard that it got edited out of uh, it seemed like it was in the original uh, Videonics tapes and okay. then it got edited out the first run of the L&L videos and then I thought it, I saw it back, back in, in again and then we've got the 30th anniversary set so I don't know I, I don't know why, whether it's in there or not yeah. but if you have the tapes you can certainly go back and see it, okay. it was quite funny but 
I was just so glad it was Michael and not me that got the uh, the chewing out on that. But that was, uh, yeah, that was, oh, I'm so happy that they did that. And then a few years ago, uh, I've always collected uh, a lot of anything related to Di Vernon. Right. And I have a, a, a nice collection of audio recordings. Uh, back in 1978 when he lectured in the, at the Waldorf Astoria, I, I have a three or four hour hours of that, wow. that lecture. And, um, yeah, a whole bunch of that. Bob White recorded his lecture in 1969, and it was a very, very, very good lecture and very good recording. And so I digitized all of these things. I have those on the computer, and then also a large video collection of Vernon lectures over in Hawaii and uh, in Washington D.C. And uh, if a Vernon lecture was out there, I pretty much knew, you know, where it was, yeah. and who had it, and. And if possible, I tried to get a copy of it. And uh, so Louis Falanga contacted me a couple of years ago, and he wanted to know what the best Vernon videos I had in, in my collection. And I and I told him what I had, and uh, he says, "Well, I'm thinking of putting out a 30th anniversary." collection of the Revelation series. This is 30 years since it was mm -hmm. produced. And uh, so I told him I knew of these three lectures that were top-notch that I thought would be really good to have in the series. So one I had just seen uh, a year or two earlier. I think it was Arthur Emerson. Art Emerson had videotaped uh, Vernon in Washington, D.C. And he had some things on there that I uh, that was quite rare that were not on other video recordings. So I recommended to him to get hold of Arthur Emerson and see if you know see if he could get permission to put that in the set. And then I knew of two lectures that Bill Larson had filmed early on, back when hardly anyone had uh, video cameras, and uh, Bill set that up in the at the Magic Castle, yeah. and and. Did some lectures of the two lectures that Vernon did, and they were very, very good. And I had some uh, copies that had leaked out, but they, you know, they were third, fourth generations. They weren't very good. I mean, they weren't very good quality. The, mm -hmm. the material was good, but yeah. the quality wasn't. And so I told him, I said, okay, I know this is in the Magic Castle Library. It's this. Here's the date, and this is the this is what you want. If you can get the Art Emerson and get these two Vernon lectures. Uh, you should do that. So uh, he contacted uh, Erica Larson at the castle, and she was able to go through the whatever the committee is, you mm -hmm. know, the group at the castle, and get permission to allow Lewis to to get those two Magic Castle lectures, and then Art Emerson gave him permission to uh, put put that in the set. And those those three lectures together are just just uh, worth their weight in gold in my opinion so yeah so that's how those those videos came to to be in the in the set no, oh I got I, I did say Louis uh, Louis Falanga when when Videonics originally filmed the set mm -hmm. uh, they had a professional photographer come in and take all these pictures of Steve Freeman and, and Vernon I think and uh, Lewis bought everything. He bought the all outrights, the photos and the slides and everything. And and Vernon and uh, Lewis sent me. I've got all these. I've got like over a hundred slides of Vernon, 
you know, with the cups and balls and the cones and the linking rings and all this. And then, of course, Michael. There's some of Michael and Gary. Gary, and, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so those are wonderful. I'm digit in the process of digitizing all of that stuff as well. Neat. So, yeah. So very good. I'm, I'm so glad they did. I wish Vernon had been a little bit, little bit younger, you know, mm -hmm. for those. But it's better than not having it at all. For sure. Yeah. Back at the the first convention, I went to that 1977 convention, and then mm -hmm. uh, went to the 1978. No, it's 1977. The same year, I went to the first Magi Fest convention that I ever attended, and uh, there was a lot of interesting guys there. One of the guys I met met early on. It may not have been the first one, but it was one of the first couple. Was Harry Riser. And uh, we, I was. I remember I was out in the lobby, and, and I had my cards, and I was doing some stuff. And uh, an old friend of mine, Larry Pringle, he's not around, and he passed away. But Larry was very good friends with Harry, and he and uh, he brought Harry over, and I was sitting there doing some stuff. And Larry says, says Gary, he says, uh, would you do some seconds for Harry for me? And I, I looked up, and that's the first time I ever met Harry. So I, so I looked at him, and I said, well. I said, do you want do you want them with bees or do you want them with the white borders? And he, he laughed. He shook his head and he says, uh oh. He says, I know I'm in trouble now. <laughs> you know, whether because uh, the bees are so much easier. I just thought, well, if you really want to see it, you know, you should use a white border. But that was uh, I always thought that was funny. His comment, uh oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> so around that time in like. I think you said 77, 78. Uh -huh. Were you were you really into the false deals and and gambling stuff <clears throat> right around then? Okay, I started uh, I started teaching. I taught chemistry for thirty three years. I started teaching in seventy seven. So uh, it was right around the time of the uh, when I was finding out about magic conventions and things like that. And so at the end of my first teaching year, 70, which would have been uh, June of 78, okay. um, I was going to have two, two months off from school to do yeah. whatever I wanted. And for whatever reason, I, I, I think it was because uh, I wanted to be able to do something that other people couldn't. Uh, so I got interested in false deals. And, and as, as I said before, the... There wasn't a lot of people who could do second deal. I never met anybody at the time who could do seconds and bottoms and fool you with them. You know, yeah, you might yeah, see a sure. real bad one. Uh, so I, at that time, I bought the uh, Martin Nash books, the three trilogy, you know, the trilogy set. And so the uh, summer of 78, I spent my whole entire summer practicing second deals and, and bottom deals and then eventually got into trying some center deals. And, uh, yeah, I was just interested in it because I just, at the time, I, I, I would be showing tricks to somebody and, and then, you know, next thing you know, they're doing the same tricks. And so I was like, okay, I want something somebody, I can't just, they can't just, they can't, they can't just take that yeah. hit and do it. You know, if they are, they're going to have to put in a lot of work. For sure. So I think that's really why I wanted to be able to do uh, the deals because I knew the deals were, were not easy to do. Were you ever performing at this time for for lay people or never, never? I, I, I very, very rarely. I, I performed a handful of times for lay people. Students uh, ever? Yes, uh, twice a year. Uh, back when I was in college, I did a fraternity party. I did magic. Uh, 
<laughs> we won't even go there, but I did magic for a fraternity party, and it was, and that was fun. And then I did uh, later on. There was a college that had me come over during uh, they were the, when testing was going on. They wanted to like to give them a little break, mm-hmm. and I did coffee house, and I went around table to table and did a, a few things. But for the most part, uh, I, I did magic for magicians uh, at magic conventions. That was really the only time I performed. And uh, so, in my mind, my way of thinking, I, I wanted to be able to fool magicians, and yeah, and I wanted to be able to do moves that you know the uh, different passes, uh, and I wanted to try to learn complicated sleight of hand so that you know people say, yeah, you got to see this guy do this. You know, it's really difficult, or you know, he does it really well, and and uh, wasn't really so concerned with performing for lay people at the time. Now I regret that. I think I feel like I wasted many, many, many years of my life uh, doing that. I enjoyed it at the time, and it's what I wanted to do at the time. But I think uh, I wouldn't recommend it. Really, I think that uh, performing for real people is what magic's about nowadays. But I'll say you did accomplish your goal because. Because <laughs> your dad got Gary Glenn, yeah, <laughs> and that's how that's how we met uh, here at Magi Fest a few years ago. As I came up and I was like, "Can I? I need help on my bottom deal, you know?" Right, right. So, so yeah, I guess I guess in a sense it it it, it served a purpose. Yeah. Um, but uh, again, I think if I had it to do over again, I'd probably try to perform more for real people than than uh, trying to fool magicians but you know it was fun and that's what at the time that's what I wanted to do um, let's see Steve Forty you wanted to yeah, talk yeah, a little bit about yeah. Steve uh, you know I met Steve back in Las Vegas uh, quite a few years ago and, and uh, there's so much you can say about Steve I mean he, it, if there's anybody better out there I, I, I can't imagine I can't imagine I would love to see him if, if there's anybody that can even hold a candle to Steve but and he's such a gracious, humble guy, and he—he uh, he just destroys you uh, with <laughs> stuff. But I remember my—we went to his house one time, and my wife was with me. And at the time, I had been reading about riffle shuffle tracking, and uh, thinking about like one deck and being able to, you know, keep track of cards and stuff. Didn't really understand it too much. And uh, Steve proceeds to to pull out these six decks of cards and and do riffle shuffle tracking with six decks of cards all shuffled up and it, it just it was just mind-boggling it was just impossible and he did he showed me so many things that everything completely fooled me spreads a deck of cards my deck spreads them face up and and has me just name any card in the center of the deck and he just scoops the cards up and and they're in dealing position there's no breaks or anything just scoops it up and then bam immediately just that the cards you name he just deals it right out of the center and he can and he can repeat it and uh uh that's amazing yeah and and you know you tell people that and they're like oh no they're you know you're missing something and then and then they go and they they see it and they're and he would do it consistently like you know back to back he would. He could, you could spread it again and yeah, say, "Yeah, yeah I'll just yeah. name another card here, right in the center." And he just picks it up, puts it in dealing position, and bam, out it out it comes. And uh, he did uh, his memory. Some of his memory stuff uh, with cards is just. Uh, here's one. I'll tell you this. This is, this is probably the greatest story <laughs> about Steve. So we're there, and I'm shuffling my cards, 
and we're talking and Steve says let me see your cards and he takes them from me and he starts arranging cards I don't know what he's doing and he, so he takes it for about 15 seconds arrange cards and he hands me my deck back and he says go ahead he says go ahead and shuffle your cards and shuffle them. Yeah, give him another shuffle give him another shuffle and and uh, and give him a cut so I did and he says now uh, now just just start dealing cards down to the table and I started dealing I dealt you know cards and all of a sudden Steve says okay stop and I stopped and he says uh, turn over the next card I did and it's an ace he says and turn over the next one and the next one and the next one and it was the four aces what and I had shuffled the cards my cards myself and I had shuffled them five or six times and cut the cards now again how do you explain that I mean it's impossible uh, I'll tell you I'll tell you what he did he noticed that when I was shuffling I guess I had so much work spent so much time with the zero shuffle that I was leaving a slug uh -huh. on the bottom of the deck every time naturally yeah without thinking about it and he picked up on this he picked up on this he's watching me shuffle and he sees I'm I'm laying a block of five or six cards every time I shuffle so what he did was he just took the cards and he put the four aces on the bottom of the deck and handed them back to me and he says now shuffle well, I'm laying that slug I'm, I'm doing a false shuffle for you know I'm keeping the aces there and then he's a master at estimation you know when he says now cut the deck and he hit you know he, so, he, so now he knows there he all four aces are 25 26 from the top he says just deal deal the cards face up and he and at that point he may have been work you know what my guess is he probably had five cards on the bottom the four aces and a key card mm. so now he starts dealing and bam when that key card comes out he says stop and then there's your four aces but I had no, I didn't, I had no do, I didn't figure it out. He told me. Yeah. I said, Steve, you, you know, you can't do that. That's impossible. <laughs> and he's like, Oh no, it's easy. You know, here's what you were doing. You know, but see, that's from his watching people. You yeah. Know, in the casinos, shuffle. And, yeah. And sure. all that. She's just a genius. Just a genius. That's great. And um, what did your wife think of? Oh, she was being there. She was blown away too. I mean, she. She, you know, she had, she's seen a lot of magic, and stuff, so she knew how good she knew how good he was. Sure. But you know, the thing is, he's just such a humble and gracious guy. That's what is so amazing. You would, if anybody, anybody should have an ego, you know, it should be, be Steve. Yeah, yeah, but he, sure. but it's just the opposite. It's a shame. It's a shame. A lot of other people don't, you know, do the same thing, but. Uh, some people let it go to their heads, yeah. you know, unfortunately. Um, let's see. Magi Fest again. Okay, so we'll go back there a little bit. Saw Del Rey. Uh, Del Rey, Del Rey is, uh, you know, it's so hard to say. This, it's like, who's the best magician, you know, yeah. or who's the favorite, <laughs> who's the favorite for him? That's very, very hard to answer, but, uh, because when I, I was getting ready to say, well, Del Rey is my fav most favorite performer, and, and in many respects he is, but you know, then I think of Tamaris, and I love watching Tamaris. So uh, I will say that if I had, you know, I've really, really, really enjoyed seeing Del Rey perform. He was one yeah. of a kind. He was unique, and uh, his act was just amazing. And I, I remember one year 
we were at the Magi Fest, and Dale used to work in Columbus all the time, and it just so happened that the uh, Magi Fest was on when he was working a show here in Columbus, and about uh, 9.30, 10 o'clock that night, I look over the door, and here comes Dale through the door with his big table that you know weighs 200 pounds. He walks right into the lobby at the hotel, sets his table down, sets it up, and sits there and performs his his close-up act for anybody that was in the lobby. You know, there were a lot of magicians that missed it. There were shows going on. Yeah. So you just happened to had to be in the right place at the right time. Wow. And uh, you know. His magic was again. It's like, as good as Steve is with cards. Uh, Del Rey was that. Is that with magic? I mean, the, you see this stuff, and it's just just impossible. I saw him one. I saw Del many times. I saw him probably eight or ten times. But he did a uh, Conan Pence routine that, to this day, I've talked to a Danny Block, a friend of mine, about it. And, uh, you know, that's the trick where you take the quarters on the back of the hands and you cover it with a, uh, a dollar bill. He used the dollar bill, rolled it up. And I know the trick. I'm familiar with it. And I'm watching, you know, to see what's... I'm thinking, okay, I want to see how he gets rid of the coins, how he gets rid of the quarters. And uh, so he pushes down on the top of the bill and the coins fall through the lady's hands. And he just reaches up and just... Flicks, flicks the bill off his hand and those coins are gone. There were I, he didn't lift it up from the bottom. He just I'm going okay. Where's he? How's he go there? And he just flicked it and they were gone. And I talked to Danny about Danny saw him do the same thing. And and that was the only time out of the eight or ten shows that was the only time I ever saw him do the do the campaign. So I never got to see it again. But I have no clue where the coins wow. that were in the in the bill went. That's a treasure. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, so his act was was very very special, and and uh, and then of course Juan Tamariz uh, got to uh, was lucky enough to get to spend a, a few days at, at Juan's summer home in Cadiz a, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, uh, with Paul Wilson and, and Eric Mead, and uh, that was again uh, just memory that you'll never forget yeah <laughs> so there was Tamariz is a genius just like Steve Forty is and uh, our, our our daily schedule I'll just tell you that because it didn't change from day to day mm -hmm. we arrived at, at one's home it was about 4 p.m. and uh, one was still in bed so <laughs> he got up shortly thereafter and he went out and he bought a big uh, leg of ham and brought it back and set it up and so everybody ate a little bit of the hamon I think that's what they, what they call it over there hamon mm -hmm. and uh, then we went out on the back porch he has a, a, a netted back porch to keep the bugs out and we all sat out there and, and talked magic and did some magic until about 10 o'clock at night 10 o'clock at night he, the one says okay it's time to go to dinner so we we get up and we head out and we go to a real nice restaurant and we're there from 10 o'clock till 1 o'clock in the morning. 1 o'clock we get back, we go back out on the back porch and we sit there until about 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning, sun's Jeez. coming up, wow. we're doing magic. And then we all go to bed, go to bed about 7.30 in the morning and uh, he has these uh, black things on the like windows, shades, to, yeah, shades to keep the light out. So we go to bed and we uh, wake up about four o'clock and we go in and we get a little bit of ham and 
uh, Hamon and, and uh, go out on his back porch and do magic and talk magic until 10 o'clock at night and then we went and had dinner and came back and it was the same thing every night and he's so wonderful I mean he brings uh, magicians in every summer for about I think I was told for like three months and just has a, has sessions like that with all these different magicians from all over the world and how long how long were you there for uh, we were there five almost a week it was five okay. nights I believe okay. total and then uh, and it was you know the interesting story my wife my wife didn't speak Spanish, and uh, one's wife didn't speak English, so we were kind of worried, mm-hmm. you know, how that would how that would go over. But uh, luckily, they had just gotten Wi-Fi in the uh, where where they stayed, and my wife had an app, a translation app. I think it was called uh-huh. iTranslate, um, and her so iPad or on her iPad, yeah. and so she pulled that up, and and she wanted to, to ask a question, so she typed it in and showed her, and and. Uh, her eyes lit up, and, and so she went and got her iPad and downloaded the app, and so literally for like six hours while we're out there doing magic, I mean, they she ended up going to bed about seven o'clock in the morning uh-huh. with me, but they were sitting there being able to carry on a conversation, and, and that was the first time that, you know, she'd been able to communicate with uh, someone that spoke only English because of uh, because of this app, yeah, and so passing we were, their iPads a, around, it was a, it was, it was very, very nice. That's great. But we, you know, we had a great time. I didn't get to see any of Cadiz because <laughs> there was not one minute of free time. But my, Debbie got to go out and and uh, visit. So that was that was uh, a lot of fun. And oh my goodness, he, the magic that Juan does. I was very, very sick. I didn't know uh, he was. He had a big show on. Uh, Monday, I think it was Monday night. I think we left, we left on Sunday, and he had a big show on Monday uh, there for the people in Spain. And uh, had I known that, I, I would have held off one more day and gone to see him perform. But uh, but I didn't know. We'd already had made mm-hmm. travel plans and on the train and things like that. So we weren't weren't able to to do that. When was this? How recently was this? It was about two years ago. Two years yeah, ago. two summers ago. Because I'm curious if if you know, really enjoying one and spending time with one influenced your own outlook on performing for lay people. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Do you want to talk yes, about sir. it a little bit? Well, I mean, he just made me realize. You know, he says, you know, if you're not, if you're not performing for real people, you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, people, yeah, of course. If you're not performing for real people, he says, he says, you know, you're not doing magic. He said that's what magic's for. Magic is for entertaining, you know, people who want to see. The magic and and it, you know, it just got me thinking. Like, yeah, you know, you're. That's magic is for people that don't know magic, you uh-huh. know. And so, uh, you know, it, and I won't go into any details, but you know, it's got me performing some now for for lay people. Sure. And uh, and it just it never really sunk in until he told me that, and I thought, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, it de- definitely did affect uh, the way I feel about performing now for. For lay and that's what I said a while ago. You know, feel like I've wasted <laughs> wasted the first thirty years of my life because I just think how much more I could better performer I could have been for sure. for lay people had I. And I really do enjoy it. It's 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 a whole different experience <laughs> than sitting there doing seconds and bottoms for magicians. You know, are you still doing like crazy knuckle busting sleight of hand, or I mean, for lay people, or are you kind of yeah. sticking to the? Yeah, no, I don't do. I don't really see the need to do that. I, I try to show them, you know, things that are more, uh, 
more oriented for lay people. You know, I sure. I do gypsy thread. I do a coins across, and, and uh, do you uh, do you want to talk about gypsy thread at all, uh, <laughs> David? Your face lit up. Well, <laughs> well, um, I just you know I get. Uh, you don't have to. It's not something that you want well, to talk about. Well, it's just, it's none of it's really my idea. It's just I think I found a, a method that uh, is very good, and uh, it's one of two peoples, depending on how you look at it. The, uh, <laughs> uh, I think two people came up with it independently. Okay. Uh, I learned it. I was shown shown it by my friend Richard Hatch, mm-hmm. who owns H&R uh, Part of half owner of H and R Magic Books. He's the H. Yeah, he's the H, and uh, he he published this in Mum quite a few year, years ago. And the one problem that I always, I mean, I've always loved Gypsy Thread, but the one problem that I've always seen with it is the little ball starts in the center, and when you start pulling the thread, uh, the ball always went to one side or the other. It pulled, you saw the ball move to the left or move to the right whenever it was performed. Well, Richard came up with a method for doing the uh, the setup and the ball stays in the center. When you, and it pull, doesn't get tangled. And it and the, I have never, I've probably performed it 150 times, 200 times, and it's never one time tangled. And I would not really perform that Using you know the figure eight method and all all of the methods that I'd seen before, it seemed like they always once in a while would tangle and then you know you, you were really in a mess. So once I you know once I learned Richard's method, then uh, I felt very comfortable with it and 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 so I use that. That's one of the opening one of the opening tricks that I do when I do perform for lay people. And I think it it we talked about this. It adds to the illusion. Of like the pieces fusing, yeah, because that ball stays in the center, and it just looks like it's just kind of bouncing around, yeah. right? And as you're the as you're pulling your hands apart, you know that that ball's just kind of floating there, mm-hmm. right in the middle, and it mm-hmm. just yeah, you know that's a really interesting thing. I've never thought about that because if, if the ball moves, then it looks, side, like it looks like the thread it's is just being pulled yeah. apart. Yes, but if it stays, wow, I've never even thought about yeah. that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And uh, cool. come to find out, the other person is Gaten Bloom. Okay. Uh, he just, you know, he had his two book series come out. And he apparently uh, independently came up years ago. You know, I don't know who came up with it first. Sure. But they were both independently developed. The Richard didn't know about Gaten's and Gaten sure. didn't know about, about Richard's. Like calculus. But, uh, <laughs> but they, uh, uh, it's... I think it's the best method, uh, at least for for setting it up and visually, with it staying in the centers. Yeah, it's a real good trick that I like. That's a cool example, though, of um, you know you doing magic for real people. Real people, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, and even some of the other the other stuff that, and we don't have to go into detail, but some of the other, you know, when I would come over and you would be like putting your set together and mm-hmm. show me like, oh, I was gonna do this or this. Mm-hmm. It's great magic, but it wasn't like what I thought of when I thought of Gary Plants <laughs> doing magic, like <laughs> bottom dealing and center dealing. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was just good, good strong, good magic. classic magic. That's mm-hmm. that's pretty simple, but so well constructed. You know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. like Gypsy Thread. Sure. Oh yeah, and and uh, you know, it, 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 this won't make any sense in, it, since there's no video with this, but <laughs> yeah, there's just amazing little touches. With gypsy thread, 
that you learn when you start performing it. And there's, there was this uh, two things from, that I saw Fred Capps do. Uh, he was on a video and he's performing the Gypsy Thread. And, and he's doing the method. Now, he did have the, I think it was the running, you know, thread in the center. He didn't have the method where it stayed in the center. But uh, when, when you're starting out and you've got all the little pieces, so, so you've got the one thread in the one hand and then all the, all the other pieces wadded up into a little ball in the other, and you come over and you press it against the one remaining thread. See, this won't make any sense on, on Sure will. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, it, so anyway, you take the little pieces and you squeeze them and they stick on the center, on the center ball. Yeah. Now, now, what I was doing was coming over and trying to grab the loose end of the thread that's hanging down, uh, but you've got pieces you, you, yeah. between your fingers. Mm -hmm. So if you've got your pieces here and you're trying to grab this loose piece of thread, that, that thread's kind of sure. bouncing around, moving around. Fred Caps goes, boom, boom. So he and grabs he, and he the reaches top. over and just just reaches over with the top, which isn't moving. It's already pinched between your fingers. He takes that piece just and now he just transfers right the point pieces the, where you've got the pieces in. He just reaches up and grabs the part that you're already holding on to, and then he's able to reach down and go something that simple. So now after the revelation, here's the other great part of Fred Caps. He pulls the thread out. It's restored. Now, instead of doing any, you know, okay, how am I going to get rid of the pieces or any of this? He just puts this piece up with the other and then comes down onto the palm of the hand, balls all the little pieces up together and puts it in his jacket pocket. So there's no heat. There, there's never any clean, chance. Yeah, that's, his clean that's his cleanup, right. And it was ju just those little things, you mm -hmm. know, the, the difference of having the ball in the middle, uh, not having to chase the loose end, and, yeah. and then not ch running, you know, what am I going to do with the loose pieces? Just having this very, very simple cleanup. It's just it's, elegant. It's elegant, exactly. Yeah. It's just beautiful. And it's fun to do, you know, when you know <laughs> there, when you know exactly what's going to happen, you don't have to worry about anything. It's, it's fun. You can, then you can put everything into the presentation. Yeah. You just wanted to, something about Marlowe, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We've, we've talked about we've talked about Vernon for a little bit. Um, oh, speaking of Vernon, let's do go back to one thing, okay? And then okay. we'll jump to Marlowe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Vernon wrote a book called Revelation many years ago, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it was uh, not published for about thirty years, and then Mike Cadney finally published Revelation. It came out. And there and was a revelation is uh, Vernon's, Vernon's annotations, yeah. right? Vernon's annotations on Erdnase, right? Um, so, a gentleman—I won't, I won't, I won't mention his name—a gentleman <laughs> used to have used to have uh, uh, Ed Marlowe annotate. He would buy a book. It didn't matter. It was Darwin Ortiz. I've got I've got several of these sets of annotated notes. Uh, Ed Marlowe would would take somebody's copy, yeah. And uh, I know Charlie Randall sent Marlowe a copy of one of the books mm -hmm. that he had, and and had it annotated. So anyway, someone sent gave Marlowe Vernon's Revelations to be annotated. So Marlowe's about to annotate Vernon's, Vernon's annotations, annotations yes. on Erdnase. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> now, if you've ever seen these annotations, they're they're all in third person. Yeah. Yep. 
Marlowe talks about himself in the third person. Yes. So it would say something like, if he makes a comment, he would say, Oh, Marlowe's method in magazine number two is much better than this. It's a little creepy. Yeah, in my opinion, yeah, a little bit. Uh, but anyway, uh, he goes through and he annotates all of all of uh, Vernon's comments. And like, when you showed it, m- most of the annotations were him in favor of Marlowe. Marlowe's yeah. better this Marlo's than the other. Ninety percent of the annotations are Marlowe has a better version of this in this. Right. And if you go through and you look at any of the notes, that's the way they are. You know, that's yeah. the way they are. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> this guy, after he had Marlowe annotate Vernon's book, book he takes it to Vernon. <laughs> and he says, Vernon, look, Marlowe annotated your notes. Here, take a look at it. So, so, Vernon, so Vernon took the, the book and he flipped through and he read read all these you know annotations and then he he pulls out a, a a coin and draws a little circle and all he writes is keep striving ed and then he signs his name diverted in the little circle just said keep keep striving ed burn oh my god so uh yeah that that was interesting there uh and then to your knowledge did that did that ever get back to to Marlo? Did that I don't know. Okay. I don't know if that he, I don't know if he took it back to Marlo. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it wouldn't surprise me. Oh, for it, sure. It wouldn't surprise me, but I'd never heard anything anything more than that. Of course, uh, you know, Vernon Vernon liked Marlo and they were at the castle. You know, there's film of them together, mm-hmm. Charlie Miller and Vernon and Marlo and you know, they all had good things to say about each other. So that's yeah. it. But that's that's just a, a funny that's story. That's great. That's great. But uh, as far as Marlowe goes, I only m- I corresponded a-, a few times with him. I-, I think the first letter I wrote, I asked him how he came up with tilt. You know, there was a big controversy mm-hmm. about Vernon and Marlowe with the tilt. So anyway, I wrote him a couple of letters, and he wrote back and, and answered them. And uh, or I'll tell you, the Vernon, remind me to tell you about the first letter I got from Vernon sure. later. But Marlowe uh, was doing a lecture. It was, I think it was called 30 Years Later. Uh, in St. Louis, Missouri, and John Mendoza put on the convention. He brought in Ed Marlowe, and uh, it, it was it was quite interesting. Uh, he he lectured. He was very far away from the audience. He was probably fifteen feet away, ten feet maybe, mm-hmm. fifteen feet away. So he was able to do some of this uh, esoteric stuff like. You know, pulling cards out the back of the deck. He could set his hand down on them and pull, take the deck away, and just things that you know, under normal close-up conditions, you, I don't, you know, I don't think it would be too practical. But uh, it was funny when the lecture started. You know, Marlowe had lectured in St. Louis 30 years earlier, and he he pointed to one of the guys sitting in the front row. He says, "Look at this." He said, "This guy was here 30 years ago, and he fell asleep in my lecture, and he's already fallen asleep here now today." <laughs> Well, you know, Ed uh, he has some had some great ideas. I mean, he has some good yeah. some good stuff, but uh, he wasn't he wasn't a real dynamic performer. You know, mm-hmm. in, in, mm-hmm. right. it, it's my opinion. Uh, but uh, like I said, that was the only time I saw him. I will tell you this: it was funny. I was we were up in a room. I remember Don England was there, and 
maybe Mike Powers. I don't remember for sure if Mike was there, but there was about there was about a dozen people up there, and we were and somebody said, "Well, here, show show Marlo a trick." And I, I at that time I was doing the deals, so I had this trick with a with a bottom deal in it. So I did the routine and. And uh, Marlo was smoking his cigar. He's sitting there and he's watching and he's nodding his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't say anything. So I finished the routine and did the, the revelation. And I had, I, I think I did like five bottom deals during the routine. So never said anything. And uh, this was real late. It was probably about 2 o'clock in the morning. So things started sh closing down and everybody was leaving. So I was, I was one of the last ones to go. And so I got up to leave and... Marlo came over and, and he goes, uh, so whose bottom deal was that you were doing, you know, in that trick? And, you know, I, I had no idea what to say to him. I said, well, I said, it was probably one of the ones you have. I said, I'm not really sure. I said, I, you know, I've read all your stuff and I said, I've read everybody, a lot of stuff on the bottom deals. I said, but it's probably one of, one of yours. <laughs> and he's just, oh, Sounds like okay. The right answer. <laughs> but, I, but I found it interesting that he wouldn't ask. Uh -huh. He didn't ask until everybody had had gone, you know, yeah. leaving out of the room. But, yeah, yeah. But um, but that that brings up a good point. Um, when you were so when you were developing those deals, you don't you don't really do anyone's deals per se. Like they're they're pretty unique to you. <laughs> yes. Uh, like we were talking earlier, you know, I there wasn't a whole lot written about seconds and bottoms. I I remember. Early on, I bought the the Phantom at the card table, yep. which I enjoyed very much. And speaking of that letter of Vernon, that's what the letter was about. So I'll, okay. while we're on this, I'll come <laughs> back to that. Uh, I bought the the Phantom at the card table. Is that the uh, Gamblers uh, book club book club mm -hmm. version? Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. well, I had two versions. Uh, I had a little tiny small version, uh -huh. spiral bound, and then the blue. Yeah, and the blue then I bound. had the uh, there was a, a second version that they put out. I bought both of those. Okay. And uh, so, let me think. Where was I going? Where I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Uh, oh yeah. So you know, lessons in dishonesty. Uh, Laurie Ireland and yeah. Marlowe's Second Center's Bottom, Martin Nash trilogy. That's and then of course expert card technique. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had all those. I read uh, everything in all those, and so I've tried all of the different versions there but you mean I like er, did you Ernace yeah I did I read Ernace uh, I didn't care for it with that third the grip yeah I didn't care for the grip and the and the ring finger you know pushing the card out uh, so after trying all that I just I, it was like okay none of these seem to to really fit me so I sat down one day one summer when we were getting ready to start and I thought uh I said, okay, you know, I want to take the second. I just kind of analyzed it and just like, okay, I want to, I want my second and, and regular deal and bottom deal to all look the same. So, so same I, grip. Same grip. I want to do the same grip. I want to hold the cards. I don't, I don't want to do the ordinary grip. I want just a mechanics grip, mm -hmm. normal grip. And and so, you know, I just, with the right hand, I'm like, okay, let's look at the normal deal first. You know, how am I going to do that? Okay. And when I do my normal deal, I've got to have access to the second card. I've got to have access to the bottom card. If I'm going to to do seconds and bottoms, you know, I can't do it. I can't. I can't not go under the bottom of the deck and and deal bottoms. So, you know, I just was like, okay, I could. 
I just very slowly, okay, I can, there I can take the bottom, mm -hmm. okay, there I can take the second, and then with the same action, I can take the bottom. So that's what I started practicing. So, you know, I read it all, I had all the ideas in my head, but I eventually I just kind of worked it out. Oh, yeah, the Artanis, the closest method, the thing that fit me the best, and I didn't learn it from the Artanis deal, but after I ended up with the, the deals that I do, the uh, Artanis method most closely resembles mm -hmm. what I do as far as the the take and everything on the bottom deal. Right. So uh, yeah, it's yeah. I I would have trouble saying just like Marla said, whose is it? Well, you know, there's probably a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but mm -hmm. I, I really came up with most of it myself uh, as far as what I use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that Vernon letter? Oh yeah, the Vernon letter. Well, this was in um, this was right after I. Uh, saw him up in New York in at the uh, SAM in 78, 78. right and uh, so about a year sometime there a year or so later I was I had read the Phantom at the card table mm -hmm. well if you if you read that there's a portion of the book where he says uh, oh yeah Scott could uh, have you shuffle the cards hand you half of the deck and he could tell you oh uh you know, you've got two kings and three aces in your cards. You know, or he, or I've got one king and three aces, or whatever, whatever it would be. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely nothing in the Phantom at the card table that can explain that. I mean, the, he, he taught the punch deal. He, he taught, explains he the, taught the punch, word, the punch yeah. deal. But but it's like okay that. That doesn't work. You can't explain it. And there's nothing in the book. So I wrote Vernon a letter. I'm like, you know, surely he knows all the story about, you know, what was going on. So I wrote him a nice letter and, and asked him if he knew how could this possibly be explained. And uh, and I remember, I, you know, again, this I was about 24, 25 years old. And, and uh, I was like, Oh, I wonder if he's going to, you know, is he going to write back? Is he not going to write back? And Did he write back and say, Adam McGuire's a liar. He made it all up. <laughs> so I remember uh, it was a Saturday. Uh -huh. I remember the day. Oh, it was wow. Saturday. And I uh, went out to the mailbox and opened it up. And, and It was there, Christmas. <laughs> and there was a letter, you know, from, sure. from Vernon Stationery and stuff. And I thought, oh, wow. my God, you know, here, here it is. And I, I remember I didn't even open it immediately. I, I just sat there and looked at it like, oh, I can't believe it. You know, you, you wrote it back. And uh, so finally I opened it up and, and read it. And, he, and uh, you know, it was, very, it was a one-page letter. It wasn't real long. But he said, you know, he, basically he said, uh, Eddie McGuire wanted to become friendly with Cardini. So he, uh, he knew Cardini was interested in, he, in gambling stuff. So he brought, he brought Walter Scott... Uh, up to do some gambling demonstrations for him and he said uh, they went to Al Baker's home and he said and uh, they went over to a drugstore to buy some cards and he said and on the way back Eddie switched those cards for decks that had been punched and edge marked mm -hmm. And when I read that, mm -hmm. there boom, it is. Yeah. The, the lights went on. I'm going, okay, there was nothing in there about it. So I get the book out and I go back through there, and of course there was nothing. Mm -hmm. Now in Gazzo's book, when the, he when the he, new one, the yeah, new one, the Phantoms of the Card Table, 
the edge, the edge work is it. covered, mm -hmm. but it yeah. was not covered in the original manuscript. But you know, as soon as I saw it, saw that, you know, then the lights went on, and he, and you know, he proceeded to say, you know, uh, Walter Scott was, uh, you know, he could, he had, a, he said he had a very good second deal, but then he went on to say, he said uh, Martin Nash, uh, Harry Riser, uh, I think he said Charlie Miller, mm -hmm. many others greatly outclassed. Walter Scott, you know, yeah. when, it, when it came to card work, said he couldn't palm or hold out or, or do uh, some of the things. Of course, you know, they had that, there was a lot of friction between yeah. Martin and... and, and that Gazza's book kind of reflects that yes. quite a bit, too, <laughs> yes. from the other side. Yes. Uh, but, you know, yeah, so that was the first letter I wrote to Vernon. I think I got five or six letters, you know, from Vernon about different things. Yeah. Uh, one one was about nicknames of different magicians. Uh, he had <laughs> Joe Kasari. You guys wouldn't probably don't even know that name, but uh, he, he his nickname was uh, Earthquake Joe, and, <laughs> and, and, he, and it's like okay, why do they call him Earthquake Joe? And Vernon says, well, it's because he was full of faults, <laughs> and, and uh, you know stuff like that. The good so, old days. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. What Got other Vernon mem memorabilia have you got? That well, what are your prized collection pieces? Okay, um, probably the most prized Vernon pieces. I actually have one of the first twelve autographed, numbered uh, twenty-dollar manuscripts. Wow! Funny story with that. This is a true story. I swear. <laughs> uh, when I first started going to the Magi Fest back in 78 or so, uh, there was a magic dealer there named Mike O'Dowd from St. Louis. Okay. And I used to buy all my magic books and magic magazines from him and and uh, one day we were talking, he knew I was a big Vernon collector, I got all kinds of Vernon stuff from him and, and I said, Mike, I said, do you, by any chance you have a one of the first original $20 manuscripts? And he says, he says, you know, I think I do. Now this is like <laughs> just, just laying just, around. Just now, happened to have now one. Now again, this was probably 1980, 81. So I asked him. So this, I, is, this is like 60 years after it was put it, out. It was put out in the thir 32. Okay. It was put out in 32. So 50, 50 years. 50 years yeah. okay. I said, do you have one of the, you know, because the there were many copies that came out afterwards, but the sure. first 12 had a nice cover on it and uh, sure. a seal that was signed by Vernon and Fawcett Ross and and uh, so he says yeah I think I do have one I said you know I'd really like to get that you know if you ever decide you want to sell it I'll take it well and, and I went to the Magi Fest almost every year so for the next 20 years I'm like Mike you ever find that manuscript no I know it's there somewhere but I don't I'm not sure so finally how many years ago was this probably uh, Probably five years ago, so about twenty. So the key here is consistency. <laughs> yeah, don't give up. No. So, so like 2010, 2011, So thirty years or so, forty yeah. years. You know, I get an email from Mike, and he's like, "Guess what I found? Yeah, twenty dollar manuscript." And and uh, and he also had a uh, the three dollar manuscript, which was the other wow. private. And. Uh, he says, uh, they're yours if you want them. And I said, well, I want them. So I sent him the money, and he sent me the manager. So it took a took a lot, but it's really nice, really nice condition. And still has a card. You know, he had that trick. One of the tricks in there was how to do a second deal. The, so, the with, no, what's yeah, it called? The, the no. Uh, no, oh. 
It's got the hole in the car. Yeah, the, yeah. 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 Automatic. Automatic. Automatic, automatic second deal. Second deal. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mine, mine still has that card that was sent with the manuscript. Oh, it's got no the original way. card with the hole. And I've talked to other... I've, I've only tracked down... <laughs> I've only <laughs> tracked down four... Because uh, it tells you in there, you know, uh, your card is included in this. Yeah. And, and there's some, and there's a lot of uh, handwriting. Vernon kind of, I'm not sure wh- how or why that happened, but Vernon annotated some things in this manuscript. And you, you recognize uh, it's uh, Vernon's oh, yeah. handwriting. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, I've tracked down, I thought, well, you know, I wonder if I can, how many of these I can find. It'd be cool to know, you know, are all 12 of them still around or not? But I've only been able to track down four of them. Four plus years? Three plus mine, okay. so four total. Okay, and uh, they're in other collectors. I, I'm, I'm, I won't mention their names because I don't know if they would want one and out. Sure, but uh, uh, I, they uh, they were kind enough. They sent me pictures of theirs, uh-huh. so I, you know I could have the number that they have and who has it. And uh, I, I think the one I have appears to be in much better condition than any wow. any of the others. And uh, so that's probably my prize possession. I've got lots of interesting videos, uh, which I like. I've got, I loved, uh, for the longest time, I collected silhouettes. And, I, you know, once you get so many, it's like, okay, do I really need any more? How many, <laughs> how many Vernon silhouettes do you have? Probably 20 uh, wow. or so. Yeah. Are these just of different people? people? Yeah, nobody, yeah, okay. nobody famous. Uh, they're all just uh, people that he probably in, in uh, I think most of them were cut at Pikes Peak. Okay. Colorado, but I had some beautiful ones. I had a family, a family of three, a little girl and a, a husband and a wife. Wow. That that when I got, it, I mean, it looked like it was cut yesterday. It had been just kept. It was it wasn't hanging, so the sunlight didn't hit uh-huh. it. And it's his uh, everything was dated and signed. And, Gorgeous. And uh, they were they're beautiful. How yeah. did you come yeah. across these? You know, most of them. I think almost all of them I found on eBay. Wow. But I was I bought them before. Many people started looking there, uh-huh. so uh, the prices I paid weren't quite what they're going for today. Sure. Luckily, thankfully, I got my first one from a good buddy, Tim Moore, mm-hmm. um, several years ago, many years ago, and I had a—he was a Thurston collector, and I had a nice autographed Thurston photograph, and he had a beautiful little silhouette of a little girl about nine years old that Vernon had cut, and it was signed and dated, and so we ended up. We ended up swapping. He wanted a Thurston, and I wanted that. So that was how I got my first one. And then I started looking on eBay, and, and uh, you'd be surprised. There's there's two up there right now for sale, wow. two on eBay today. And I'm kind of watching those, but <laughs> I really don't need them. But, but if, uh, you know, if the price was right, I would probably jump on them. I think probably the, the neatest thing you've shown me from your collection, it's it's I think it's the last picture in one of those, those big albums that you have mm-hmm. and it's the picture of the uh the original inner circle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's yeah. the um it's like the really tiny one and right. then you have the blow up right 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 yeah yeah now that's not that's a reprint i mean it's not an not the yeah, yeah, original yeah, 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 yeah. photo uh but yeah that was that was that was the group man if you had to hang with the group the original new york inner who's circle. in the picture Oh man, I see uh, Sam Horowitz, Cardini, uh, Vernon, Charlie Miller, Al Baker, uh, Al Baker, and uh, sitting on the far left, the only known picture in existence is uh, Arthur Finley. Wow! 
And that stuff, he's like, can you name all of them? And I named all of them. Except him. And, so, and he's like, you don't know? I was like, and it is a trick question. Yeah. I, I, there, no way I could have known. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but they're just kicking it. It one. It looked like it was taken right in the middle of one of their sessions. sessions. Oh, wow. I think yeah. Vernon wasn't even looking at the camera. No, he and Charlie Miller were they're all together the over there do, yeah. talking about something. Wow. And, uh, you know, Cardini was a big photographer, so... Mm-hmm. I don't. It's interesting to know, you know, uh, who took the picture, or did Cardini set it set his camera up on a timer, a timer. you know, to do it. So I'm not sure, but it's a it's a great picture. And like I said, the only one, the only known photo of Arthur Finley that I'm aware of. That's great. I would love to set up a camera at a convention just over in the corner and just set it to take a snapshot every 30 seconds or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that'd be so cool. It would yeah. be. It would be. You know, speaking of that, that's one of the things that I've been really big on uh, trying to uh, save uh, videos yeah. and and even audio tapes of magicians. I've got a tape. It's not a very good one, uh, but it was of Stuart Judah. It's a lecture. He gave a lecture at a guy's house, and uh, a friend of mine, he's died a long time ago. He had a reel-to-reel. You, know, you, oh, know, you wow. even know what it is? I know, yeah, yeah. Okay. I know what it is, yeah. Thanks, you mad men. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> had a reel-to-reel tape player, and he took it over. Uh, it was down at, uh, oh, heck. I'm not going to be able to get the name right now. Got, he was a senator, Walt Rollins, Senator Walt Rollins, West Virginia. And uh, the lecture was held at his house, and, and Charlie Carey took this reel-to-reel recorder, big reel-to-reel, set it up, and... And Stuart Judah does a does about a forty five minute lecture, and uh, Stuart was was very very sharp. He was a really good magician, and friends with Vernon and all the all he those did, guys. He did close up sleight of hand mm-hmm, mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so you know, I mean, I've got that. I, I'm the only one guaranteed because I got it right straight from from him off the reel to reel, and then he died, you know, very shortly thereafter. And like I said, it's not really good. You can hear Stuart talking and lecturing and. Uh, I've often thought I'd try, maybe set, try to sit down one day and uh, uh, transcribe it because we've got Stewart's tricks. Mm-hmm. You know, they're recorded. Sure. So if you could just get match up the trick with what he's saying, it might it might be kind of fun. And then there's a lot of chatter. He just Charlie just let the thing keep playing. So you hear him eating dinner. You know, mm-hmm. and they're talking about how much gas is across the street and all this stuff. But you know, that's you've got, awesome. But you've got the whole. You've got the whole lecture there. And I would be just as interested to listen yeah. to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what year did you say? Like, I mean, roughly. I think I have the date on the tape. Uh, it was in the '60s, early uh, '60s. Uh, but but uh, you know, there's a lot of videos. There's a lot of old timers with videos from that they have filmed. You know, people come to town and lecture. There were uh, there was a guy up in Canada had a whole wall of videos, and I contacted him. I like. You know these things are, these things are dying there on your shelf. You know they really need to be digitized, and he's like, uh, nah. He says they're just landfill. He says you know when when I'm done when I'm done with them they're just going to go in the landfill. I'm not going to do anything with it. And and you know the, there's a lot of good magic of people that aren't around today that yeah. uh, that really need to be saved. You know the SAM library has has some great uh, films, the Magic Castle, the uh, Magic Circle. Sure. But there's a lot sitting in people's hands all over the place that that's 
just you know just going to be thrown away or or it's already deteriorated so bad so but you've kind of made that like, like one of your hobbies or specialties like you right. <laughs> you yeah. have like beta tape players and all these VCRs <laughs> and stuff like just to convert and digitize I have all a this. beta machine set up right now at my house and uh, I've never even seen one of those yeah I bought <laughs> one what was the one that I hauled back that was beta that was a beta okay. and that See, one didn't work know. and that one didn't work and I had to find another beta I mean, which I did and uh, and it actually worked uh, I got uh, what I needed these for Roger Klaus passed away okay. and he had a, a, a quite nice collection of magic on beta a lot of lectures I've probably got I've probably got eight or ten full lectures some of that some of these lectures are seven or eight hours of Roger Holy performing cow. you know wow and so I immediately digitized all that. But he had a lot of beta tapes. He had 60 or 70 beta tapes with all his wonderful magic on it. TV magic from those years, you know. That was just and taped on... Taped on the beta machine. Now, yeah. Beta was very good quality. So, uh, yeah, there's 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 that. And uh, what was it? Somebody... Oh, I just got another big box of beta tapes that was in a person's garage. That, uh, wow. Matter of fact, I digitized one. This guy did hypnosis shows at a high school and uh, her her dad had been dead for 20 years and she never seen these tapes and uh, so I digitized one at Friendswood High School doing a magic hypnosis show digitized it and gave it to her right there at Christmas time so she was able to see her dad you know performing one of her shows that she'd never seen oh wow before. that's so just very nice and uh, you know I hope we don't I, it just makes me sick to think you know maybe wouldn't it be great to be able to see Max Molini or Nate Leipzig or Jeez, you know, Paul yeah. Rosini and, and see these guys performing some of their magic that we hear about? Yeah. Uh, and and it could you know there's some uh, maybe some of that setting out on video that's just going to be destroyed. yeah. So for anyone listening, like mm -hmm. I mean, if if you guys have any any type of like tapes that you there may be like your uncles or whatever yeah you even know. if you think they may not be of interest to anybody yeah get in touch with us or with yeah. with gary and and i mean we would be glad to to take a look at them because that's that's yeah. super just want to preserve the history yeah the history the and, and you did art. you actually Absolutely. did a really cool presentation at magic con uh, a few years ago concerning right same sort of same sort of idea put together a a little collection of tapes, uh, videos that I'd collected to show people, you know, stuff that's, and there that's was, out there. And there was, was items in there amazing. that no one had ever seen before. Exactly, yes, guarantee. Yeah. Some things no one ever seen. What, 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 do you, what is the ultimate goal for all of this stuff? I mean, I, just I know think you've digitized a lot of it, but what's going to happen to it? That's a good question. That's a real good question. I, in my mind, uh, there's there's really only three groups mm -hmm. that probably even care anything about it and mm -hmm. that would be you know the SAM the IBM and the magic circle now there may be maybe one or two I'm not I'm not miss I'm not getting but uh, what I'll probably do or what I hope to do is to just take these uh, hard drives where I have all the videos stored and just make two or three copies Give you know, give one to the SAM, one to the IBM. Oh, Magic Castle. Did you sure. mention the Magic Castle? Yeah, yeah. IBM, SAM. Right now, I don't think the IBM really has anything at all video related. The SAM does, Magic Circle does, and then the Magic Castle. And I told Bill, Bill Goodwin, who's uh -huh. a good friend of mine, I said, you know, uh, eventually I'll just make make a copy of the hard drives that I have. My wife, she, 
ready to shoot me. I have so many, <laughs> so many of these hard drives. Uh, but, you know, I just think that future magicians will want to see Absolutely. Uh, Roger Klaus, you know, lecture. I've got some In wonderful... In concert. <laughs> yeah, I've got some wonderful Mike Skinner footage uh, that some friends of mine have filmed uh, years ago. And Michael was a wonderful magician. He had a larger repertoire than probably any other magician that ever lived. And, sure. uh, you know, these guys don't have a chance to see him perform. And the stuff that is available, uh, uh, Michael was up in years, and it just wasn't his best performances. So to be able to see Michael, you know, when he's 30 years old or 35 years old, when he's really on on his money, is, is nice. And... Uh, you know, there's little snippets of Francis Carlyle, just, you know, people, Jeez. films that people, uh, most people don't get a chance to see, and it would be nice. Don't even know they exist. Don't know that they exist, and, uh, you know, I've talked with Lance Pierce about it. We're, we're really trying to figure out a way to make these available uh, to magicians to be able to see, but I mean, eventually, just, like, I think you could do something with some sort of, like, a just an online streaming database you know, Dennis Bear's Conjuring Archive. Right, 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 right. Something mm -hmm. akin to that, only just like a video yeah. archive. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. I don't, I don't know what the, like any copyright well, issues the, or anything like that. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. You, you know, who owns the, who originally owned them, and, and mm. you know, are there copyright issues that you have to yeah. deal with? You know, some of the, a lot of the really good magic art TV shows that probably still have possibly some type of copyright issues. Right. Sure. Um, but so I guess it is just a matter of waiting. Yeah, for a lot of that stuff, yeah. <laughs> or or finding out how to do it. Maybe the copyright yeah. laws will change some someday and make it easier to be able to to make stuff like this available. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I just think it's something that should be preserved. People, I know how I would love to see, you know, Paul Rosini and Leipzig and those guys, and and it's not going to happen. Yeah. And you know, the Leipzig apparently had a film he showed during his shows. Of uh, you know this coin across these knuckles, he had a big screen and he showed this movie, uh, so it existed at one wow. point in time, and maybe it's still there. It still but, does, but yeah. uh, maybe hoarded up in uh, somebody's collection. Who knows? Or in an attic yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. It could be anywhere. Golly. Yeah. Alex Elmsley. Yes, please. Um, uh, Lewis. Oh man, this goes way back. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> Michael, I told you before, Michael Mr. and I, Michael was from Bluefield. I was lived in Charleston, which was about three hours apart. We became friendly, and and uh, so uh, one of the first, maybe the first videos. I mean, it's definitely one of the first. Was Michael's card masteries or easy to master card miracles? Mm -hmm. And Michael asked me to help him out with that. So we got together, and you know talked over tricks of what he you know what would be good to put on this set and so uh, I think I flew to Sacramento I think that's where we did the filming for that so we filmed those three sets which I guess were if not the most successful certainly one of the most successful series in uh, magic videos and uh, then I was teaching at the time and, and kind of got busy and was hard to get around but uh, Michael was kind enough to uh, call and invite me up to to Lewis's place uh, when Alex Elmsley decided to come over and film some of his magic. So I spent three days up there. Paul Chaucey was there, actually roomed with Paul Chaucey. Wow. And uh, and 
got to meet him for the first time, and then Alex was there. And oh, there, there, you know, you can say so much, but uh, Alex uh, had not been real active in Magic at the, that point. And uh, I was very, very surprised when we did the the shooting on all of those things that you see on the on the DVDs. Uh, I only remember one time that he had to stop and do a retake, and it was on uh, one of the manipulation. He was doing an ace manipulation between the, the fingers, and uh, some little something didn't go right, and he, so we, we did a second take on that. So almost everything that you see first on those DVDs were first take, on, on every single one of them. And, uh, and you said he hadn't been, he'd, he'd been sort of out of? Oh, for quite, quite a long time. I mean, he, not... He was still, I think, reading magic Practicing and stuff, or, but and maybe with a few friends. But he wasn't, wasn't, you know, performing and and uh, participating much in magic. And uh, he liked his scotch. He had he kept a bottle, a couple of bottles of scotch there <laughs> while we were there. But you know, he he could sure hold his liquor. And I think I mentioned to you guys, uh, <laughs> he uh, Alex uh, got to you know know him pretty good for the those three days that we were up there and. He was to lecture uh, a month later in Las Vegas at Gino Minari's. Uh, Gino Minari put on one or two close-up conventions, and uh, since Alex was there, he had him come and give a little lecture. So uh, during that convention, we were sitting out by one of the bars. We were sitting there talking and doing magic, and uh, I'm not really a drinker. I don't know. I don't even know much about alcohol, and. And I was going to go and get a Coke at the time, so I get up and I said, "Alex, would you like a, would you like something to drink?" And he and he says, "Yes, I'll I'll take a double such and such." I, I, I like I said, I still to this day don't remember what what Some it was. Some type of scotch. That's type of scotch, right? He says, "I'll take a double something something." <laughs> so I go into the bar and I said, "Okay, I'd like a Coke, and then I want a double." I had to keep saying it in my head because I didn't even know what it was. I said, "I'll take a double such and such and such and a, and uh, and a Coke." So the bartender goes over and he gets the coke and brings and gets the drink and, and I said, How much is that? And he says, That'll be sixty five dollars. And I <laughs> looked at him and I said, How much? And he said, Sixty five. And I was like stuck yet. <laughs> and I was like, Oh okay. So paid it and took it back and set the drinks down. Here you go, Alex. Here you go. He said, Enjoy that. He said thanks, you know. Appreciate it. And, so uh, I learned a la- I learned a valuable lesson at that point, and I just uh, learned a valuable lesson. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so that was a, a funny Alex Allen, but he was a great guy. I, got, I think I got a Christmas card from him one year. I made a oh, wow. I made a set of cards for him. He wanted me to make him a uh, what's the trick he does with the backs that keep changing? Uh, dazzle. He wanted me to make him a set of dazzle cards, so I made it. And then that, I think that year I got a Christmas card from him, and and then. Uh, so that was about it. That's the only time I really saw Alex. But I was so I never thought I'd ever get a chance to see Alex Elmsley. You know, I heard all the rumors when he in '75 yeah. he came over and he toured. And what happened was, at least the the story that I heard was that he saw so many of his people that he looked magicians that he looked up to, like Vernon and Charlie Miller and these guys, just having a rough time making a living with it. And he got really depressed. And he and he went home and he's like. You know, I, he just kind of dropped out of magic there for a while, and huh. and uh, so then luckily somehow, uh, twenty or twenty-five years later or so, he 
decided to come over. I don't, I don't really know how they talked him into coming over and filming. I don't remember hearing that. Yeah. But, but I'm glad they did, and I never, ever expected to, to get a chance to meet, meet him or buy him a $65 drink. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, you said something a minute ago about you making the the Dazzle cards mm-hmm. for him. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the card cards. plant and, and how that kind of got started? Well, um, I was just trying to remember if we had talked about it or if it, that no. was just before we started. Yeah, but no, yeah. I don't think we did. Uh, basically, I wanted to, I always was intrigued with gaff cars, you know, double backers, facers, and and uh, all these different gaff tricks, and I wanted to make them, but, you know, you had to have certain tools to make them right. Uh, the, I think the first place, you know, I learned how to split cards. Splitting cards is not the trick. Yeah. You know, how you put them together is, is the trick. Um... Uh, so I learned how to split cards early on. Splitting was very easy. I learned it from expert card technique you know, mm-hmm. in the back. Mm-hmm. So splitting was easy. And currently, do you still use that method oh, for absolutely. splitting? Oh, yes. absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so to, I guess the next thing after I learned how to split them is like, okay, how do you how do you put these things together? You know, glue doesn't, Rubber doesn't work. Or, you know, yeah, it just yeah, they yeah. warped and all this. So I read, uh, I had a set of Derek Dingle's lecture notes. Derek used to make gaff cards for uh, tannins back in the 60s. And in his lecture notes, he explained about this glue called dry mount tissue. And it's what's used uh, these, like, T-shirt, use a heat press. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want something dry mounted, like a photograph, they take, a, like, a backing and they put this... It's a sheet of paper, but it's actually a, a glue, and then you put the paper... The, like an the, iron? The Well, it's a, it's a it's the same thing as an iron. Yeah, it's a big iron. You, you know yeah. how they put these decals on T-shirts? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. put them in there, and then they heat, heat them. Yeah. Uh, it's, the same, it's the same process, but the dry mount, dry mount tissue was used for, uh, you know, putting a photograph. Here's a photograph, and you wanted to put it on a backing, so they, they, would, they would heat it that way. And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh, so anyhow... Derek didn't figure it out. I'm not going to be able to remember this guy's name, unfortunately. Uh, uh, a gentleman figured out that if you took and you took a sheet of the dry mount tissue and you doubled it over and then put the two thin pieces of cards and then heated it, that that would give you the perfect thickness and a perfect snap. That snap, yeah. And so Derek published you know, that idea in his lecture notes. So I read that. But again, okay, dry mount press, uh, dry mount tissue. Uh, how are you gonna? I don't want to take an exacto knife and around the corners and mm-hmm. need a corner rounder. So the next thing I know, I'm like, okay, I want to make this double backer, and now I've got three thousand dollars invested in a press <laughs> to make and a, a double backer. To, yeah, to make a double backer. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I can make really good double backers now, but it costs me, you know, three thousand dollars. <laughs> I was very lucky. Uh, I actually have the trimmer and corner rounder that made all of the uh, Brother John Hammond gaffs. Oh, my. Wow. That was the first trimmer I bought. Uh, it was uh, John Mendoza. I was out at, I, it was probably during the Marlowe lecture. The 30 years later. 30 years mm-hmm. later. I believe it was there, and John Mendoza said, you know, I'm going to be uh, selling off. Uh, this was in a magic shop, Jean DeVoe, 
Gene DeVoe's mm-hmm. magic shop. He says, I've got some stuff I'm going to be selling. I've got a corner rounder and a trimmer. Well, see, I didn't have them at this point, you know. And I was like, oh, I've really been wanting them. And the price was crazy. It was so crazy good. I think it was like like $300 for the trimmer and rounder together. I mean, it was just really, really good. So anyway, I bought it. Yeah. Bought them from him. And then I had to go out and dig out the press, which was, was quite expensive. And so with, with Dingle's notes... And then uh, all the apparatus, I was able to then make a, a decent card. So then you learn, okay, how about a split face? And, and, and then, of course, whole different method, the dental dam cards with the flaps that everybody's making now. <laughs> uh, uh, so I thought, well, I'd have some friends that would say, well, make me one of those. You know, make me one. And, and I would. And so... You know, I, I had heard about this gentleman out in California, uh, Cards by Martin, who, that's what he did. He made gaff cards for magicians. And I was told, you know, he'd take a briefcase into the Magic Castle on Friday night, and, you know, everybody would come over, and, and kind of like a bootlegger, you know, he'd be selling his wares there at the castle. And, and I thought, well, you know, I, you know, I could do that. And so uh, I, I just started making up tricks that I was aware of uh, that was on the market, and then I somehow came up with a few of my own ideas, the magnetized card and, and rising cards and things like that. And then I thought, well, it'd be nice if I could, you know, if I had a business, I could write off some of this stuff and, and uh, go to conventions and write off my airfare if I'm doing, if I'm a dealer like mm-hmm. I am here at the Magi Fest. And so, you know, one thing led to another and I started a little, uh, a little business out of my home, the card plant, and and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. I'm, so I've it's a, it's amazing. I've ran I've run one ad in my entire life on the, making this stuff, mm-hmm. and I've sold to so many countries. I mean, you wouldn't believe just all over the world, yeah. and it's word of mouth only. That's that's what blows my mind. You know, Malaysia and yeah, just everywhere uh, that okay how in the world does this person even know that I've you know making these cards so yeah very I remember like I think it was actually here the first the first time I met you and it it was when Tamaris was was here Mm -hmm. and I guess he had he had requested that you make him some some type of gaff and uh, (laughs) I just remember like I think I was just meeting you and Juan comes up and you gave him the cards and stuff and I was like, oh man, like <laughs> Juan's getting cards from Gary, like yeah, <laughs> makes good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, it's it's amazing. I mean, I, I can't even remember them all, but uh, uh, probably one of the things that I was uh, the happiest about was I had sent Ricky J uh, a couple of my tricks and uh, he really. I, I didn't know Ricky very well that uh, at that time, and so about two weeks after I sent him the these tricks, he calls me on the phone. It's like, "Hey Gary, this is Ricky J," and I was like, "Holy crap!" You know. <laughs> so uh, what was the says, impetus for sending those to him? Uh, I just thought because of the nature of the trick, I thought he might enjoy it. Okay. okay you know, I just sure. thought you know it might. This seems like something he might like. I think I sent Steve Freeman some and, okay, okay. and him some. And so uh, he calls me and he's like, you know, I've really wanted to do this trick in one of my shows. And and uh, I think you've got the method for 
doing it. So uh, anyway, I got to go see uh, in uh, on the stem. He performed uh, his version, mm-hmm. you know, of 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 this trick, and uh, it was wonderful. I was, I was very happy to to get to see that. But I made cards for uh, Harry Blackstone Jr. Uh, he called me one time, and he, w- he wanted to do one of his father's tricks, so he wanted some belly strippers. So I made him a deck of belly strippers and sent them to him, and all kinds of people, you know, uh, Mike Close and Jeff McBride, you know, the magnetized cards. Yep. They, uh, there's lo- all kinds of people that, that use that. And, and uh, Do you have any interest in making gaps out of, you know, any of these newfangled custom playing cards, or... Are you happy to stick with? No, I don't mind. I mean, I don't. I don't carry them. I pretty much stick to bicycle, just because it's, that's what I have. But I have people send me, just like Jeff. I was down in the dealer's room. Jeff just gave me a whole deck of his cards. He he does the magnetized cards, but he wants to use his own deck. So you know, he just gave me the cards and said, "Here, you know, here's some money, and make me up so many of these and send them to me." So uh, yeah, I don't. I don't mind using. Other cards, but typically the people have to send me the cards. Okay. Uh, you know, sure. Want to do it. And I'm this is, and I'm not pushing for that because I've, I'm busy enough as it is. But, <laughs> but uh, I do get people that say, you know, hey, I'd like really like to have this in this card, and if I can make it, I'm, there's no guarantee I can make it. You know, you never know how the cards are going to split or things like that. But sure. yeah, I have no problem making them in any any kind of design. What do you think? I don't know. We could, we covered a whole lot covered of a whole lot, yeah. lot of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long do you think we've been going? I don't have a clue. You don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. I think you'll be surprised. Yeah. We've been going for about an hour forty. Yeah. Okay. Which is pretty That's good. Pretty good. Because yeah. we, we we were <laughs> we were like forty five minutes is probably pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So an hour, an hour and forty-five minutes. I'm, I'm super pleased, and I'd be happy to talk some more if there's anything you want to talk about. One of the things I like to do is, uh, I love photographs. I love photo. I collect yeah, photographs, yeah, yeah. particularly autographed uh, photographs. I got some wonderful ones of Francis Carlyle and Vernon yeah. and Slidini. You know, so uh, I was just going to look through these photographs on Facebook. Okay, there we go. Um, any any Jennings stories or anything? Uh. Oh man, I just remember we just lost. You know, Jim, did you know Jim Pan? Yes, I knew Jim. You know, he yeah. passed away. Yes, yes. Yeah. okay. Yeah, I would really, really hated to to hear that. Sad. Oh, 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 oh yeah, I got one. Okay. Yeah, see, that's what I said. I just need something to jog my memory. <laughs> so I'm at an early. I'm at an early. Can you see the picture. Uh, well, I just seen Charlie Miller sitting okay, there with okay. Jim. That's what jogged my memory. All right. So I'm setting. I'm. Uh, this was definitely. Uh, one of the first Las Vegas Desert seminars, so 80 or 81, I'm again, I'm 24, 25 years old at mm-hmm. the most, and uh, I had heard so much about Charlie Miller, especially his deals and things, and, I, and Charlie happened to be there at the convention. Well, there was a, a little party uh, the first night, and they had these little tables kind of like this one sitting right here. You know what I'm going to tell you? I tell you this already? I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so there's this little table sitting here, and Charlie's sitting here and he's by himself so I'm sitting about oh six feet away at another table uh-huh. he's by himself I'm by myself and you know I, I was very I was very shy I, w- I just wouldn't approach anybody at, the, at that point in time and uh, so Charlie's sitting there and I'm, and I'm just in my head I'm going oh, why don't you just go over there you know and introduce yourself and and uh, and you know just talk to him 
And then about that time, this kid, he's about, looking to be maybe 12 years old, and he walks over, and uh, he's got a deck of cards, and he says, he says, Mr. Miller, he says, he says, would you show me your second deal? <laughs> and he hands him the deck of cards, and I'm going, ah, here's a 12-year-old kid doing it. So I'm thinking, but, but, I'm going to get to see, I'm going to get to see it. Now this will, I don't know how this will play over the air, but, <laughs> but, so Charlie takes the cards, and he's sitting there, and so I'm looking right straight across at him, and he takes the cards, and he holds them, and he gets ready to do the deal, and he looks over at me, over at the right, he looks over at me, and he stands up, and he turns his back to me, <laughs> and, and he starts doing it, and he does the deal, and I was crushed. I was oh, like, oh man. my God, I can't believe it. So... Uh, so that's uh, that's one of my funny stories about Charlie Miller. But oh uh, I mean, he just looked and just he just turned around. <laughs> so I, I didn't. You should have uh, come and asked. Wasn't <laughs> able to see a single thing. But you saw it eventually. No, no, no. You never saw. Never it. saw Charlie. I saw Charlie do a lot of of his uh, stage material. There is that's something. Charlie Miller doing card stuff. Forget it. It's not out there. Wow. It's not, and, and that's unfortunate. Steve Freeman tells me he was the best card man that that lived. Wow! You know? And uh, so it's, I, I just, I find it. I think Charlie wanted it that way. Yeah. So, you know, I guess if that's what he wanted, it's, that's uh, that's the way it should be. Um. Oh my goodness! There's so many people. You asked about Larry Jennings. I didn't really. I mean, I I met Larry up at 4F, and we we sat up there and did card tricks for each other. Uh, uh, and uh, he was still with L and L then. He asked me, you know, hey, well, you got to do a book. You know, you got all this stuff. And I, was, mm -hmm. I think he was trying. They were trying to find people to to do books with him at that point in time. But uh, poor Larry. I mean, he he just he didn't take care of himself and. Uh, drank and smoked and you know ended up in wheelchair and uh, you know all those guys you know I was thinking I was telling my wife you know Char uh, Larry and uh, Bruce Bruce Servon yeah. and Mike Skinner these guys died you know way too early you know they were all yeah. all in uh, early I think Mike may have been, even been in his late 50s I don't remember exactly but early 60s and you know, it's just so unfortunate. But they all smoked. You know, they all mm -hmm. smoked a lot. And oh, Martin Nash! I was gonna back when I was getting into deals. I got to see Martin Nash uh, about two or three years after I bought his books. I mean, he to me he was he was a god. I mean, he was like man. Everything I read was just, I really loved his tricks. His tricks were good. And of course, he had his technique for all this. And and I will say, I went to Cincinnati, Ohio. I went to Haynes House of Cards. They had him there to lecture. <laughs> And uh, thoroughly enjoyed the lecture. I was a little disappointed on the on the technique. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it wasn't what I had hoped for. Tremendous entertainer, probably one of the best gambling entertainers that's you know ever lived. But uh, uh, you know, it was just I was just expecting all these just impossible bottom deals and center deals and and uh, you know they were good, but they weren't what I had expected. I had sure. I, I I'm curious um, about there's you know a, there's there's 
early 1980. <laughs> I've seen this picture. I, you know, I love looking through the pictures on your Facebook. Yeah, it's, that was the first time that I. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious about if like. There's Michael. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, I like putting these pictures up. There's a. I'm curious. So I'm curious about if there were like, you know, heroes that you had whose tricks you loved when you were, you know in magic performing for magicians that now you look back and you go that's not really a great trick magic this is not very really a great magical trick is that I, I, you don't have to name any names but i just mean as your perspective changed on on what magic is and, and who you should perform for well you know like we were talking a while ago uh i for 30 years i performed magic for magicians and mm -hmm. there's a lot of really bad tricks yeah. that you should never perform for laymen uh, that you'll that you'll go ahead and do for magicians. You know, just thinking that okay, it's going to fool them. They're not going to know how you did it, and mm -hmm. and if that's your goal, then you're going to go ahead and do it even if it's a lousy trick. Yeah, uh, there's a ton of counting and counting. Twelve again. packets counting backwards yeah. with the alphabet. <laughs> yeah, you know, but if it fools them, it's okay. So you know that stuff. But unfortunately, you know what I hate is when people do those tricks for laymen and then you know they get a bad taste in their mouth about what magic is i don't want to see a card trick i've seen enough of the card tricks yeah so. yeah but uh, no i very i'm very particular with the trick any tricks card tricks or non-card tricks that i do for for laymen sure but, uh, but now as far as any particular anything particular nothing jumps to mind is there anything that you learned from your students while you were teaching that you apply now? I mean, just based off of interacting with so many people every day mm -hmm. that you apply now that you're performing? You know, it's very funny. Um, you would think that it, being a teacher, it wouldn't bother you to get up in front of people, you know, and, and talk. But I was never, it was something I always, every year had to get into again with a new group of people. Um, I never felt, I never was real, con I, I, you know, like I said, with the students, I was, I, I was comfortable in front of them because, you know, I, my subject area and all that, I knew I knew more than they did, at least I hoped I did in most cases. And, uh, but, I, you know, I was never one that liked to get up in front of people and, uh, and talk or, or perform. Now, I did try to, and again, I taught chemistry. I didn't have time to do magic or, or anything sure. like that in school. Uh, what I did try to do is take two days out of the year, mm -hmm. and I, I literally, honest to God, I'd have kids coming in my room the first day. Oh, when are you going to show us your magic tricks? You know, because they had <laughs> brothers and sisters uh, earlier on that knew I did magic. I'm like, well, it's going to be quite a while before you see anything. So, at the end of the first semester, <laughs> you're going to learn you know, today. Could yeah. you? Could you imagine? I'm sorry to interrupt, but you could you imagine if you were like getting into magic, you know, and then you got really into gambling stuff and gaff <laughs> tricks, and then Gary Plants was your like teacher, chemistry teacher. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, that's all right. So. Uh, so anyway, I, I would try to take two days out of the year because we a lot of times we'd be new kids come in the second semester and sure. and uh, so I wanted a, I wanted them all to be able to see a little bit of magic. So I would take uh, uh, the last day of the first semester and then the last day of the year, 
and I would do a, a close-up show for them, and I let them. We had those lab tables in there, so they could all oh, stand around the lab yeah. table, and and uh, I would I would have my close-up men and, and perform a maybe a twenty-five minute you know close-up show for them, and I did that, and that was about it really. And you know, it was the kids I'd had all year, so I was I was pretty comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really the only, as far as when school goes, that's the only magic that I ever did for them. And um, so now, the teaching, the being up in front of people, you know, has helped me a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I was shocked. When was the first time I was on stage? I guess uh, Magicon. Uh, I, yeah, I think it was Magicon. Was yeah, the that's first a time scary stage. When I too. when I did that, I, I'd never been on stage with stage life with a crowd. Yeah. And I walked out, and it's like these whoa, these bright lights, and it's like I couldn't see it. It was like I was talking to nobody. Yeah. And uh, it, it was such a strange feeling. And then the same thing with uh, here. Uh-huh. I did a little. They asked me to do that fifteen-minute little thing on the zero shuffle, and it was the same thing. I get, but I could see a bit more for whatever reason. The lighting or something was better. Uh, that that was a little intimidating for me because I've never done that type of thing before that kind of stuff to me and I think this is a fairly good analogy but I think getting up on stage like that when you're you know you're really well lit you can't see the audience to me that feels like you're swimming in the ocean and you know there are sharks around (laughs) especially at Magic Con because you've got people like Weber in the audience and Mm -hmm. you know like just great minds and people you look up to and you go up mm-hmm. on that stage and you can't see any of them but you know they're out there and plus it depends on what you're <laughs> what you're teaching too I'm, mm-hmm. I mean here I am giving tips on the zero shot here's a 800 people you know and, and I can't I don't see the screens and trying to explain all the little f- touches and finesses is uh, it was, that was difficult uh-huh. you know that was difficult but I think but I wanted to do it I wanted to do it uh, just for the experience you know every time you do it it's it's going to get easier and same way with starting to perform for lay people it's like okay i'm gonna have to make myself do it i don't really want to do it but i need to do it (laughs) and so you know it's the same way with that being on stage i've been on there twice i think if i had to do it again it would be a little bit easier Mm -hmm. the next time so uh yeah so Old man and still learning new tricks, you know. Learning how to <laughs> that's great. I, I think that's so like inspiring, and I I know people <clears throat> that maybe wouldn't say it themselves, but are are very much not interested in performing for lay people. Just do magic for magicians, even though that's kind of that's not right now is a nice time because it's not really cool to be that person right now. Mm-hmm. Because you've got really great, strong performers that are also selling their material so they're known and well appreciated. Mm -hmm. But I know people now that are really in Magic to Fool Magicians Mm -hmm. and to hear, you know, from from yourself that you did it for 30 years and have Mm -hmm. kind of... Regret. Regret, but but have just kind of... You're you're continuing to evolve as a magician and a performer. Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's awesome. I think that's something a lot of people can appreciate. Mm -hmm. I was just talking to my buddy Dave Williamson. I know that I met David when he was about 17, 18, and he was down at the booth. Uh, and you wouldn't believe David. Uh, that's a whole other story. Should have told. David 
was one of the shyest, quietest young men that I ever met. It was unbelievable magic. He wouldn't hardly say a word, though, but he was doing this knuckle-busting, just impossible uh, stuff for a couple of years. And then one day, I, I go in, and he's and now he's the zany, crazy David <laughs> that we know today. And uh, I was like, holy, what happened? You know, where did this yeah. come from? And I asked him not too long ago. He was down in Galveston. He was off of a cruise ship. So Debbie and I drove down and had breakfast with him. And I asked him, I said, David, I said, what what happened to you? You know, when yeah. did you yeah. decide to be the David that, that you are today? And he said he said it was when he saw uh, Tom Mullica. He said, oh. he, he said he went to Atlanta, went to Mullica's bar, and he said, I saw that you don't have to be serious, a serious magician, that you can be funny and have a good time and laugh and still do good magic. And he said, and that's, I decided that's what I want to do. I want to wow. be funny and all this. So it was Mullica who really inspired David to, that's great. to do that. And uh, yeah, David's, David's great. I love David. We, matter of fact, we went to see Slidini uh, back in, he was, was lecturing in Gallion, Ohio. It was 1979, I think, somewhere in that range. And David, there was about nine of us. We all went in one hotel room. And uh, we stayed up all night. Slidini was lecturing the next morning. That was the first time I met David. And so we're all over the, there's people, <laughs> six people on the floor. <laughs> and, three of us. and we stayed up so late that we overslept and we missed the first hour of Slidini's lecture. Yeah. He, he lectured about six hours, and we saw like five hours. But we wake up, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, what time is it? And, and so we rushed down and got in the car and ran down to where the lecture was being given. And uh, But, yeah, David, David's a, a great guy, great magician, and he'll do anything for a laugh, that's for sure. My, my uh, yes. sister, here's one, here's one on David. So we're at, so we're at the Magi Fest. This was... Uh, Mm, maybe 10 years ago and my wife's with me and my wife's sister was with me and another girlfriend of theirs and they're here my wife comes she didn't come for the magic convention she went to visit her sister who lives in this area and they had a friend and David was there at the convention so he's sitting there and my wife's sister's at the check-in place and she's with their other friend. And Debbie says, have David go do something. And I said, all right. I said, David. So I said, see those two girls over there? I said, that's my, that's my wife's uh, sister. That's my, that's my wife's sister and a friend of hers. Go over, there and, go over there and do something crazy. So he walks over where they're standing. <laughs> and, he, and he puts his hand down and he leans on the counter. And he's like, hello, ladies. You know, and he starts doing his usual spiel. And then, so we're sitting over watching this from a distance. And he's talking like he's some suave, debonair thing. And then all of a sudden, his pants drops to his ankles. He just, <laughs> boom, right to the floor. And they scream at the top of their lives. Ah, you know, hear the scream. And, uh, you know, so he do anything, you know, anything to get a laugh. That's so, amazing. Yeah, but... Uh, Oh my goodness, we've had we've had some fun times. Yeah. 
That's you meet great. a lot of wonderful people in Magic. That's the thing. I can only I can say there's two people in Magic that out of all the hundreds, if not thousands, of people in Magic, uh, 99.9% of them are really great people. I, I can honestly say there's only two people that I really don't care for that's in Magic. I'm not mentioning them, no. I'm not mentioning their names. You probably know. Yeah. But, uh, those are those are yeah. pretty good odds, though. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, and it's it's amazing. Most of most people are very very nice people. The camaraderie of the of the community is just, you know, there and it comes up so often just in conversation. But the it's one of those things where. You know, there's no other community where you could go to a different country, and if you're a dentist, call up a dentist from the phone book exactly. and say, "Hey, man, can I crash on your couch?" Yeah. yeah, it just doesn't happen. Exactly. Well, right. and even just like getting, like when I drove in last night, and like you were, you were off doing whatever, and so I just like walked in, like, saw some guys like I hadn't seen in, like two years. It was like, "Hey, what's up, man?" And, like just picked up right where we left yeah. off, and like. It's that's just a normal thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's just mm-hmm. what you do. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, like when we were at Juan's house, you know, he invited all the Spanish magicians over, and it's just like your best buddies. I mean, you don't really know them; you're just meeting them, but they treat you like they've known you all your your whole life. Yeah. And well, even you're a good good example. Like how I got to know Gary, I moved to Houston. I didn't know a soul, and I just. We had met a, at a few conferences and stuff like that, and so I just let you know and, and mm-hmm. go get lunch and go hang out at the house, and I look forward mm-hmm. to it every week because it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like what, I don't have anything else to do. Like, I don't know anyone else, so it's like right. my adopted magic family <laughs> in, a, in Houston. So. Yeah, that's fun. You just, just, you just didn't make it around often enough, but yeah, uh, yeah it was good. I appreciated it. It was a fun time. But magic's wonderful. It's been good to me. I, I can't imagine, you know, can't imagine my life without it. Yeah. Uh, Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. sounds unpleasant. Life without magic. Yeah. No, please. Really. It's. Uh, you meet a lot of interesting people. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for doing this yeah, with us, Gary. I really can't thank you enough. This yeah. has been just a, a delight. Such yeah. a such a wonderful. Just a treasure. A treasure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I but, absolutely uh, know about it, and I you know, just like your your mission to to keep all of that material and all of those videos, mm-hmm. this will just be another piece to add to the collection of you know yeah. stories and. Well, that's a good way of thinking about it. Yeah. Just yeah. You know, Okay. Well, thank well, you, thank so you guys. It's been it. fun. Is there anything yeah. you want to plug before we finish up? The card no. plant? The card no. plant? No. No. <laughs> I'm, okay. I'm, I'm good. Okay. Good to go. Thank All you, right. guys. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Mm-hmm.